Uh, we are looking together at the book of Revelation, and we're answering the question that the believers in Jesus in the parts of the world that we now call Turkey uh, were wrestling with in the first century. How do you trust Jesus in a society that is constantly pressuring you to compromise your love for him? And so uh, we are currently in chapter 3. The way that the book of Revelation unfolds in chapter 1 is with this vision of Jesus as he paints a picture for us of who he is using lots of symbols. And then he draws on those symbols as he uh, addresses seven letters to seven churches. Now the number seven symbolizes completeness and wholeness. So he's really addressing the whole church, the entire church through the, uh, the kind of the symbolism of seven letters to seven churches in individual cities. And in chapter two, those cities are Ephesus and Pergamum, Smyrna, Thyatira. And uh, in each case, Jesus invites the church to, to stand fast in their faith in him. And for so many of those churches, it means repentance, something they're gonna have to let go of and give up and confess to return to him. And then he makes a promise in each of those letters to, to the church at Ephesus, promising them that uh, they will get to eat of the tree of life. And uh, Thyatira, I will give you the morning star. And so today we arrive at chapter 3, and we look at three churches. So four churches are addressed in chapter 2. And uh, in chapter 3, uh, Jesus speaks to the church in a city called Sardis. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're really dead. And he asks them to repent and return to him and says, I will um, I'll write your names in the book of life. What a promise for people who have just been told that they have less life than they think, right? You have a reputation of life, you're really dead, if you come to me, I will write your name in the book of life and no one can ever remove it. And then there's a letter to a church in Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? It got its name from this city. And um, he says to them, I know you think you have so little strength and power, but stand firm, stay faithful to me, and I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is that which is strong enough to support a heavy load. Right? You think you have little strength and power, but I will make you strong. What promises? And then we arrive at today's scripture reading, which is a letter to a church in Laodicea. And Jesus follows the pattern of, of all these letters and he, as he addresses this church. This is the pattern that David introduced us to last week. You know, Jesus begins by commanding John to write a letter uh, to this church, and, and, and then he describes who he is to the church. We'll, we'll hear that description. We'll unpack it a bit this morning. And, and then he has a, you know, he takes the step of diagnosing what's going on in, with the spiritual condition of that church. It may be good. It may be bad. We're going to hear for Laodicea, it's all bad news. Um, and, and then he invites them to repent. And he says, let all who have ears to hear, hear. And he closes with a promise. We're going to hear that letter to Laodicea read in just a moment. We're going to unpack it to help us 
understand what we're hearing, know a few things about that city. It was known for its wealth of resources. It was known for the banking industry being a a hub for money and exchange of money in its part of the world. It was known for the textile industry, weaving wool into garments and clothing, and particularly this kind of black wool that it was famous for producing. And finally, it was the home of a a well-known medical school. You might think, wait a minute, medical schools in the first century? Yeah, yeah. You can find lots of ancient references to this medical school uh, housed in a temple in uh, Laodicea. And they were especially known for uh, treating eye diseases and exporting this powder that was mixed to make a mud or a paste that was put on the eyes. They were known for these resources. Jesus is going to mention those things as he speaks a word to that church and to every church that has ears to hear. It's a word that's loving but hard. And it runs something like this. You are not as rich as you think you are. So let's listen to Jesus as he speaks through the scriptures. Tom is going to read for us this morning. Today's scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, just a few moments ago, most of us in the room, maybe maybe some of us weren't doing this because we don't believe these things. We're still exploring faith in you. We're not able to engage as worshipers yet, but most of us in the room were singing that that simply at the mention of your name, we are filled with wonder and struck with awe. If the mention of your name should have that effect on us, then Lord Jesus, how much more should we be struck with awe and wonder that, that we, we just heard your words? 
that you loved your people enough to speak in a language that could be understood in first century in a culture that spoke Greek. You spoke to John words that he could understand, words that could be translated into languages all over the world, including that of English. And so today we could hear not just human opinion, not just ancient tradition, but the living words of the king himself or fill our hearts with wonder and awe as we hear from you by the power of your Holy Spirit through the scriptures this morning. Amen. So, um, it's always a good thing when you do ministry to know the culture of which you're a part and to seek to embrace that culture I am significantly out of step with the culture that I live in, and I'm not going to do anything about it. I hate coffee. <laughs> right? I don't like it. I've never liked it. Every once in a while I try it just to see what all the fuss is. Why is this worth eight bucks in the morning? Um, yeah, I just don't like coffee nor does Tricia. Like, we're kind of in a minority, uh, especially being our age group. Like, Starbucks became a thing while we were at the right age to embrace it, but yuck, no. So, um, we had one-way tickets to Aberdeen, Scotland, moving over there on a British Airways flight. They come by offering you coffee or tea, hot tea. Well, you know, I grew up in South Carolina. You don't drink hot tea in a small town in South Carolina. Tea is supposed to be sweet and cold. I'm like, well, let me try it. Loved it. Love at first sip. And uh, so living in Scotland for two years, we definitely became tea snobs. And being a tea snob means you know that American hot tea is useless. It's terrible. It's never hot enough, right? It's, it's never hot enough. Like, it's, it's kind of warmed up, but British people would teach you the water needs to boil, unless it's Earl Grey, in which you take it off slightly before it boils, but that's another conversation. Um, but American hot tea that you get at most restaurants is, is horrible. It's not hot enough to be good hot tea, and it's too hot to be good iced tea. So it kind of falls in this, and if I've ever had breakfast with you, you just need to know. I didn't pick the restaurant based on what I thought you would like most. I'm like, do they have good tea there or not? And so your favorite place may be fill in the blank. I'm not going there. Or if I do, I, I had a good cup before breakfast, right? Um, it's just gross. It falls in that in-between place, and you hear Jesus talking about that, to this church in Laodicea. You're lukewarm, you're not hot or cold. I am going to spew you out of my mouth. Now that hurt if you lived in Laodicea, and here's why. Because just a few miles to the east of you was a city called Colossae. 
and they had a spring of cold, cold mountain water that supplied their town. And it was refreshing for weary people, hot travelers, dusty roads, cold, refreshing stream. And Jesus is saying, you're not like your neighbors. Their water is good for something. It's good for refreshing tired people. And just to the north of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis. And in fact, you could look across and see a cliff over which this hot spring bubbled and flowed, warm water that, that could heal and relieve pain. So people came from all over to soak in the hot springs at Hierapolis. And you could look across a valley and see that water flowing over a cliff. And then you could go to your city, Laodicea, and get this nice tall glass of lukewarm water that made people vomit. It, it was known for causing nausea. And Jesus is speaking their language and he's saying, right now, church, your faith in me is useless. It's not good for healing hurting people. It's not good for refreshing weary people. It makes me nauseous. So how does Jesus treat that sickness, this kind of nausea? Dr. Jesus. So he's talking to churches in this area. He's talking to this church, Laodicea. He is addressing issues that, um, yeah, they thought they were known among their neighbors for having all the resources they needed. And Jesus is saying, now when I compare you to your neighbors, it makes me sick. Right now, in the present condition you're in, your faith in me is worthless. So he gives a diagnosis of their condition. And then he kind of writes a prescription. And we want to explore what is the medicine that Jesus prescribes start with that diagnosis. What's the condition they have? It's called respectable religion. It, it, it's called a um, kind of a, we're going to trust the things that our society prizes and praises. And then we're going to put this thin veneer of Jesus over the top so we can get credit for following Jesus while still trusting these things that are known and secure that will get praise in our culture. We are going to trust our resources and our reputation. And you hear Jesus addressing this in verses 15 through 17. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I, I don't care what you think of yourself. I am diagnosing you are neither. You are lukewarm. Why are you saying this, Jesus? Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You're trusting the resources that your city is known for. Your city is known for being able to heal people's eyes with this medicine you make. Your city is known for wealth and prosperity. We're the banking clan of our region. The gold flows through here. The silver flows through here. You are known for clothing people in garments that are attractive and reliable. 
You're putting your trust in having this reputation for producing the resources that in your society are prized and praised. We're going to put our trust there, and we're going to spread a very thin layer of Jesus over the top so we can get credit for being Christians without risking trusting Jesus instead of all these things. You and I don't live in Laodicea. What are some of the things that we might be tempted as believers in Jesus to put our trust in? Economic power. What is prized and praised in our society? The ability to earn and keep lots of wealth. My security is there. I'm going to put a little thin layer of Jesus over the top so I can be called a Christian. But what I'm really invested in is never being lower class, never coming close to the poverty line. Make me middle class, please, Jesus, because that's what I really need. Just enough of Jesus that he doesn't interfere with my middle classness. And how do you find the middle class? Well, it goes as high as the money I'm making at any given moment because I don't want to become one of the 1%, you see. So middle class is as much as I can possibly earn <laughs> and down to Jesus, please don't make me earn that little ever. Middle class ends there where I start to panic. Political power, the ability to shape things according to our values. Christians in the United States have wielded a lot of political power over the past couple hundred years. That's being taken away right now. I think we can expect some frantic efforts to hang on to that, that reveal how much that has become the identity of the church. And Jesus is going to call us, as he called the church at Laodicea, let go of your confidence in gold and, and the wool you produce and the, the medicine you produce to heal people's eyes. Let go of your confidence in those resources and the reputation you have in your world because of it. Let it go. Because the foundation of your faith was never your economic security. It was never your political power. It was always me, cultural influence and popularity. How does that get measured these days? Likes and views and clicks and what's trending and what's not. Any of that sound familiar? Now, if you're too old for likes and clicks and views to really have much meaning, how many books did you sell? You know, whose, whose tapes are you listening to? You got to go back a ways to be listening to tapes, but, you know, we try to learn all the languages and speak them, right? We're living in a culture that is telling us your identity is defined by how many likes you get every day on your posts. Your identity is shaped by whether you're trending or not. Are you an influencer? And if so, how long can you stay in the game until somebody newer, better, bigger comes along? We don't produce wool. Our culture prizes and praises that sort of influence. It's going to be really tempting for us to put a thin layer of Jesus over the top of 
our social media impact and footprint. I really want to be liked. I want to be influential. I want to be trending. And I love that more than I love Jesus. I know I'm not allowed to say that, so I'll spread this real thin layer of Jesus over the top of it so it sounds okay. But really, my security is coming from here. Jesus gets it. He knows how to speak into that. He's known that since the first century and before. Education. Right? The worst thing you can do is to be educated in the wrong way in our society. Now, the town I grew up in, that means getting too much education. My old football coach one day found out I was getting a Ph.D., and he used a cuss word. I can't repeat it from the pulpit. Right? That was the wrong thing to do. You're going to get so much education, you'll be worthless, useless to real people. Now, we live in Atlanta, and it's not like that. Here, it's very different. Getting too little education or being educated at the wrong preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, grad school, you name it. The more you have of the right education, the more secure you are. I know you got your little thin security blanket of Jesus over the top and you talk about that. But man, sometimes what we really trust is I know I'm going to be okay because I went to the right schools. Or I can't trust Jesus for the future of my children because What if they don't get into the right schools? Personal fulfillment. Again, we don't make eye medicine. We don't weave wool into clothing. and We don't live in Laodicea. Can I just be left alone to do my thing? Can I talk enough about my Christianity to make it seem like I love other people? But really, what I really want is just to carve out my own career, my own relationships, and my own life path, and will everybody just leave me alone to do what I want? That kind of respectable religion, Jesus says, is useless. It's not good for healing, hurting people. It's not good for refreshing, weary people. It's useless. That's not my word. That's his word. I wish you were either cold or hot. But when you get lukewarm and you're neither one, you're not good for anything. So I will spew you out of my mouth. That's the diagnosis from a wise physician. If you have this disease of respectable religion, I'm going to write you a prescription. Jesus writes the prescription. The prescription is complete commitment. I want you to be completely committed to me. And that's why he introduces himself in verse 14 to this church in Laodicea as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is saying, you know, the word amen in Hebrew is is what you would say when you were agreeing with what was spoken before. When you were saying, that is absolutely true, that is reality, I want to affirm it. Yes. Completely. And Jesus is saying, I I am that. I am the amen. I am the word God has spoken to say what reality is. 
I want you to be so committed to me that when you're trying to figure reality out, the main question you're asking is, what does Jesus think about this? What is his perspective on this? He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. The one who under pressure didn't compromise his trust in his father's goodness, his reliance on the Holy Spirit's power. He was faithful and true. And he is the beginning of God's creation. What in the world does that mean? Well, I I think it's Jesus' way of saying If you want to know what creation was meant to be like from the very beginning, look at me. If you want to know what faithful human life on this planet was supposed to look like, I am the first one who ever got it right. Now, if you and I said that, it would be absolute arrogance and, and, and we would, you know, be rightly condemned for prideful boasting. But Jesus can say with complete humility and truthfulness, I am the first one to get living on this planet right. I am the first one who got being human. Now, more than human, not merely human, but truly and completely and faithfully human. Commit yourselves to me because I am the one who captures what reality is meant to be like and then in verse 18 he says you know you guys are putting all your trust in Laodicea in your your wealth your riches you think you are you think you have everything you need and you don't realize that you are completely bankrupt that you are completely naked right you're poor you're blind and then he says Here's my advice to you. Here's my prescription. Buy from me gold refined by fire. That is gold that is, whose worth can't be questioned. All the impurities have been burned away. You're poor. Buy the stuff that's really worth something. Buy from me garments, not the black ones that you've been putting your trust in. It's not because Jesus doesn't like the color black. You know, it's this is not a fashion statement. This is more of a, well, it's a symbol. Revelation is full of descriptions of symbols that represent realities. Have you heard that before? Um, a garment that's not stained in any way. It's totally purified by the work of Jesus. Buy from me this medicine you need to put on your eyes so that you can see. Trust me to give all the faithfulness and the strength and the the new life that you want and you think you have, but you really don't. Trust me. Trust me to give you power not in the way you think you'll get it. I'll give you power, but it comes through weakness. Trust me to give you honor, but you'll get it through rejection and ridicule. Trust me to give you fulfillment. You'll get it by giving yourself away. Not by retreating some way or somewhere and saying, can I just do my own thing? Will everybody just leave me alone, alone to pursue personal peace and, and fulfillment that way? No. Jesus says, 
Trust me and, and I'll give you that fulfillment you're longing for, but it'll come through giving yourself away, through sacrifice. Jesus is inviting people to stop worrying about whether we have the things that our society praises and prizes. We are free to receive from him the riches that belong to him. It's interesting, isn't it, to say, hey, you are absolutely poor. You're bankrupt. Now buy some stuff from me. Jesus, how are we going to buy anything if, we, if you're telling us we're poor? It's a gracious invitation. Shop at Jesus Mart. I have everything you need at prices low enough that you can afford. And since you have nothing, the price is free. I own it. I'm the only one who earned it. I will give it to you. I will share with you everything you want, everything you need, and you don't have to worry about whether you're losing your slice of economic power or whether you're part of a church whose political power is fading. And you don't have to worry about whether some new influencer comes along and you don't get as many likes as you used to. It's, it's okay because Jesus is going to share with us the riches that he has. That's his prescription. If you've been infected with respectable religion, then complete commitment. The prescription is no good if we don't take the medicine. And COVID is teaching us people won't take the medicine if they don't trust it. So what medicine is Jesus offering us and why is it that we should trust it? The medicine is love. That's what he says. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. I know it's hard for you to hear, church at Laodicea, that right now your faith has become worthless. I know that's hard to hear but I only say hard things to people I love. It's those whom I love that I correct in this way. I discipline those that I love. So be zealous and repent. Come back to me. Come back. The medicine is love. Can we... Can we stand in some awestruck wonder for a minute under those words? Think of who Jesus has, is saying that to. Those whom I love, I reprove, I correct, I discipline. So come back to me, repent. Our relationship has gotten strained by this kind of thin veneer of respectable religion by your lukewarmness, but I want our relationship to be restored. I want our love to be everything that it's meant to be. So come back. And he's saying that to a church that is on the brink of absolute collapse and failure. 
right? He doesn't say that to a church that's, oh man, you're almost there. You've almost got it. You're, you're making such good progress. If you'll take one more step, you will be the champions and then I will love you forever because I only love winners. Jesus is saying to people who are about to absolutely lose what it means to trust him. I love you. In town as a church, has gone through so many difficulties over so many years. And, and, and those of you who have been around long enough, you're like, man, maybe Jesus loves us again because things seem to be going a little bit better than they were in the past. No, no. He loves churches that are about to completely collapse. He is willing to squander his wealth on people who are absolutely poor. It's not like Shark Tank, where he's saying, who's got the greatest idea? Who's most likely to succeed? I'll put my money behind them. Jesus says, I am the only one who is likely to succeed. Nobody else is likely to succeed without my help. <laughs> and he delights to invest his riches in those who are just on the brink of absolute failure. What? Who loves like that? You see now why you want to take that medicine. The medicine is love, and he is willing to give it to you. He's willing to give it to us. And he's not saying I'll give it to you if you earn it back by repenting. Right? We read verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And we translate that as, oh, he will love us if we repent right. But read the text. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, I love you. That is why I am inviting you to repent. He doesn't say, I'm trying to figure out whether to love you or not. And if you win back my love the right way, then you got it. He says, it's because I love you that I'm inviting you to repent. Repentance is not the way we earn his love. It's a response to the love that he's already offering. Don't believe me? Let's read verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me. I want to be with you. I want to share deep relationship together. How is that formed and bonded in the ancient world and in our world? Over the table. I want to be that close to you. I want us to taste the same bread. I want us to drink the same wine. I will come in and eat with you and you'll eat with me. Now, there's a famous painting that shows Jesus knocking on the door, and this verse has been interpreted in the Western uh, tradition as Jesus speaking to non-Christians and saying, if you don't love me and you don't trust me and you never put your faith in me, I'm knocking on the door. Open your heart to me, and we can begin a relationship together. 
Now, look, Jesus is full of that kind of grace, and he loves people who have never once put their faith in him, and he's constantly inviting them. But that's in other parts of the Bible. This part of the Bible isn't saying that. This verse in Revelation is saying, you who have said in the past that you love me, you who have named yourselves as Christians, you who are part of the church at Laodicea, and you have grown cold toward me, it's you, I, I, it's your heart I'm knocking on the door of. It's you I'm inviting back to the table. It's you whose love I want to be refreshed and renewed. So if you're sitting here and going, yeah, that's kind of me. I've kind of been a Christian for a long time. But that layer of Jesus over the surface of the thing I really trust and love is getting thinner and thinner and thinner with every day that passes. Jesus is saying, I love you. You may be giving up on me. I'm not giving up on you. I love you. I want you to be close. So close we can taste it together. So close. Verse 21 then gets rid just like offensive. If you'll come back, if you'll receive this love I'm offering you, I will let you sit on my throne with me. Jesus isn't saying, I'm looking for the most mature Christians in the world. And if I can find them, they get to sit on the throne with me. But the losers who are barely squeaking by in this life of faith, I'm going to put them in time out somewhere on the sideline until they can figure it out. He says to this church that is on the brink of utter collapse, absolute failure. I want you so close to me that when I sit down on a throne, you're there with me. I want you to be that close. I don't want anything to come between us. There's a woman from Australia named Michaela Skovranova. That may not sound to you like an Australian name, but trust me. She's a photographer. Amazingly, she's pretty new at it. New hobby, buys a new camera, jumps in the water, starts taking pictures of humpback whales, which turn out fabulously, and I'm sure all the experienced photographers were insanely jealous. And she started to notice something in this picture you see. It, right in the center of the picture is this gleaming white dot. That's the front of the head of a baby whale underneath its mother. She started noticing all the babies had scars on their backs. Wait a minute, these are pretty young. They haven't had time to get into scraps and fights and fend off the other predators in the ocean. They're not getting, the, you know, the big ones have, have scars like that. But these are little. They're, they're tiny. They're tender. They're not mature yet. They're just months old. They, they don't hang out with predators. They hang out with only one thing, their mothers. How do they get all these scars on their backs? And she started observing 
and taking more pictures, and she discovered the scars come from their mother's bellies. Mama's big. Mama's mature. Mama has been through it. She has survived. She has overcome the challenges of the deep. And her hide is tough, and it's a bit abrasive. And when baby rubs up next to her, scratches baby. And she recognized that those scars, the more scars the baby has, the more evidence that that mother has been near, protecting, providing, caring, loving her child. Jesus is saying to you, I want you to be so close to me that my kind of faithfulness, my way of being human, my way of living in this world, my way of being God's unique son, perfectly faithful, never failing, I want that to rub off on you. And when I overcame and God raised me from the dead, he seated me on a throne. I want you to be so close to me that that kind of overcoming under pressure, that kind of faithful love, even when everything around you says run away from Jesus, I want that to rub off on you. It's going to hurt because I've been through it. I faced death and I faced your sin and it, it made my hide kind of tough. So when I rub up on you, it's not always going to feel easy. Those whom I love, I discipline and I correct and I reprove. But it's because I love you. It's because I want you to be so close that we're eating the same bread and we're drinking the same cup. And I don't ever want anything to come between you and me. And why would I want to take the medicine that Jesus is offering? And the answer is he's offering us that kind of love. Even if being close to him hurts sometimes, take the medicine and don't ever stop. It is the only thing that will make you healthy in the end. It is the only thing that will make our church healthy in the end. Jesus says, I want to heal you. I offer you everything I am, everything I've done, everything I have. Because I love you. Will you come back to me? Will you come to me? Will you stay close to me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, keep us close to you. Thank you for the scars that we bear that show that you never stopped loving us, that you were always drawing us back to yourself, Sometimes we resisted and it got painful and, and the scars are there. Sometimes we weren't resisting, but, but it, was, it was the temptations of this world pulling us away from you. And, and you had to pull harder. And, and as that happened, scars developed, wounds 
Keep us close to you. Make us a faithful people who trust and love you more than everything else in this world put together. We pray in your name. Amen.